Thank you so much for downloading the bonus show. This is the Green Majority Bonus Show. We continue our conversation from last week about political change, specifically uh, regular citizens becoming uh, politicians. Uh, it's a new trend we've been seeing in the United States. We talk about whether or not that will transfer up here to Canada. If you enjoy this type of content, especially the bonus shows that we've been doing for you uh, after the main program, you can support us by becoming a Green Majority member. You can do that at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority. Welcome to the bonus show. This week's bonus show brought to you by Feisty Wheaties. We haven't done that one in a while, Stephen. It's true. It's a, it's a callback to uh, to maybe the time of uh, of Tim. <laughs> the time of Tim. That was I. I've been less full of Feisty Wheaties. I think that was like more of a like post surgery thing mm. when I was like really fighting for every ounce of of vinegar in my voice. <laughs> Uh, all right. So this week's bonus show uh, is going to be carrying forward the discussion of uh, the end of last week's show and uh, what we were talking about. And I'm going to replay the clip in case you uh, either forgot or uh, didn't catch the end of last week's show um, for our audience. But basically, the conversation is, you know, we've seen generally two things. One is that there's a general trend of uh, even if it's not always in the same form, there's there's a historical trend of. Uh, political trends in the U.S. tending to bleed north uh, in about a five to ten year delay, generally speaking, and it tends to come out sort of in a Canadian sort of way. But that generally speaking, that there is a lot of trend to watch. And so it's been my experience over the last decade uh, to sort of keep an eye on what's been happening in the U.S., A, because just sometimes, just frankly, it's more interesting, but uh, also because uh, because I realize that, that this is sort of the writing on the wall to some degree or another for Canadians. So with that, of course, you know, there was Bernie Sanders. Uh, there's now this new wave of things called the Justice Democrats, which are uh, a coalition of uh, candidates who are everyday citizens, never, uh, in many cases, never been politicians before, but regardless, uh, have one thing only for which they get to call themselves Justice Democrats, uh, which is that they refuse to take any and all corporate donations, uh, single uh, individual donations of $27 or less, I believe is what the law states for that type of donation only. Uh, following through on the wave of popularity uh, and left-wing populism that was Bernie Sanders, trying to carry that forward into the next election, uh, because very likely Bernie Sanders will not run, but he still wants to be very politically active. And of course, there's a lot of political appetite in the U.S. for him to be politically active. And uh, and we were talking about how Joe Manchin is is a you know in name only uh, Democrat. He's uh, if you don't follow American politics, you probably uh, don't know who he is, but he's a he's he's like if there's ever two Democrats that vote for a hideous right wing proposal, Tom Manchin is, is Joe Manchin is one of them. Uh, he's basically a Democrat in name only, um, and he's uh, he's got a lot of hideous positions, including the fact that he voted for a bunch of like defunding Planned Parenthood stuff. So we're not talking about well, it's politically expedient. We're talking about the fact that he's just a bad he's a bad guy. But he gets elected as a Democrat. He's from West Virginia. And uh, so we're going to play again. We played at the end of last week's show just for the refresher for our audience and for uh, Irsita, who's jumping in today here, uh, who's not, who was not on the show before. Uh, the uh, Just a single speech, less than two minutes, just under two minutes clip of a campaign speech of this uh, woman uh, named Paula Schwergen, uh, something like that, Schwergen. 
uh, who's going to be primarying Joe Manchin. So not running at him from – she's not the Democrat running at him from the uh, – you know, against a Republican. This is a independent citizen who's standing up and now become a first-time politician to go after from the left – uh, an established uh, and establishment Democrat, uh, Joe Manchin. So we're going to listen to that two-minute campaign speech. Apologize for the back- background noise, but this was literally recorded at a campaign event outside in a small, like, coal town with, like, machinery in the background. So this is this is as real as it gets. So we're going to listen to that really quickly. We'll come back and we'll, we'll chat about it. I was born in West Virginia, and I was born a coal miner's daughter, granddaughter. My stepdad was in the coal mines. My uncles were in the coal mines. And in West Virginia, you're taught to live, breathe, eat, literally coal. We are taught that coal defines us. So as a little girl, I was proud of my coal heritage. I was proud to be the coal miner's daughter. And as I got older and I watched the progression of what coal could do to my family, I wasn't so proud anymore. Because my grandfather spent 45 years in the coal mines, and I watched him suffocate to death. My father served in the military, and he was in Korea, and he was a coal miner. And he had cancer, and I watched him suffocate. My stepfather has heart disease, has had open-heart surgery, and he gets up every morning, and he suffers. But that was only the beginning of what I knew about suffering in Appalachia. Because the mountains was the most beautiful place in the world to me. That's my home. And I woke up one day to look around me, and they started blowing those mountains up. The places that I used to play when I was a little girl and I enjoyed, and the cleanest water in the world, now runs black and orange in West Virginia. That coal-fired plant... It's fueled by the blood of my people, and it's fueled by your blood. There's no reason, Governor Patrick, that I should give you my children to fire that plant. All right. So that that was the clip. And what what I want to do to put to sort of put this into context was, you know, imagine a little find and replace for our Canadian audience here, a little find and replace and and replace a few words and, you know, put that in a debate for the next uh, leadership debate. You know, uh, say this uh, woman, Paula, was was running for, you know, one of the parties running against Justin Trudeau. It's not about I'm not saying like she would necessarily win. I'm saying that that kind of strength and that kind of strength coming from the place of like, look, I get it. Like, I get why people like this. But, you know, this is not this is not how we move forward. Um, you know, coming at essentially coming at Justin Trudeau simultaneously from the left and the right from the from the right, from the extent that she would have the credibility to say, like, look, I'm not here coming from some place on high to dictate to you. I'm one of you. And and look, this is this is how we need to be real about this. But then also coming from the left and saying, like, yeah, the end of this. No more. Uh, I don't think he'd have anywhere to go. I think that hmm. I, I think he would look really, really bad uh, in a debate with somebody like this. Um, so just within that context of. Like the, uh, you know, I think there's a few angles here, and I'll let you guys sort of choose how you want to go about it. I just want to ask a question. What yeah. do you mean by coming from the left? So you consider it coming from the left as in uh, protecting the environment from coal? Well, coming from the left, just as far as like saying like I'm going to be even more uh, strong against climate change, for instance. Yeah, um, I, I feel like you're looking at 
it's it, it, it's you know it, perhaps a different kind of of conversation perhaps uh, you know it's in it, it one that's actually a little more interesting to be having mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in, in that you know we've we've consistently had this conversation about uh, you know about like working in coal plants sucks. Like that's not like a you know that's not like a that's not a it's not a surprise to anyone who's worked in a coal mine. Um, and do they get paid well? I'm not so sure about that either. Right, exactly. Like it's not exactly. It's like it's like and and so you end up this you end up, you end up with a I guess a very different understanding, right? And I I, and I also think that that it, it speaks to sort of the difficulty that you've that we've had uh, as environmentalists from cities to speak about climate change mm. because it's because it's not seen as uh, or it's not framed at all actually as we want to give you better jobs mm-hmm. or we want yes. we, we don't want okay. you to to have to work in a coal mine we want you to do something else it's being framed as we got to get off coal, right? So I think it comes down to that everyone is you know, the you attack big coal or big business, um, but the people who feel that attack aren't aren't are 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 aren't really the the people who are actually being impacted. You know, aren't, aren't really the people who are running coal plants. Maybe maybe they're a little bit, but in reality, people who hear that and respond to that are the people whose lives are defined by coal, right? And 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 and, and it's hard not to think that coal miners have spent their entire lives. Working this terribly difficult job, mm-hmm. an unpleasant job, I'm sure in many ways, um, to to fuel our lifestyle, and that's how they've always understood themselves, right? Like they, they've been given this hard job to fuel the American dream, the fuel American lifestyle. So then to be told that simultaneously um, that we don't want your way of life to exist anymore, yeah. and also it's bad, yes, uh, of, and also it's their only source of income in those parts, right? So let's not. Well, Forget that too. A lot of them, they go for it because there's nothing else they can do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're just, you're just in a coal town. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what? Like no one's going to start something else in a coal yeah. town. Well, um, and the point that she was the point the point that she was highlighting was the fact that like this is like this is generational, right? This is yes. part of people's identity. And so if you just take that identity and you say that identity is bad, I mean, it's the same thing. Mm. I mean, it's to an extremely less degree. So believe me, I'm not equating the two. But it's like when when people, you know, I enjoy video games. I've talked about that before. And occasionally someone will be like, oh, you know, video games are terrible. and They destroy kids' minds. I take it personally because, like, mm-hmm. I identify as someone that I'm an enthusiast of that activity. Yeah, but you choose that activity. No, no, I know. But that's right? the, beside the point is just the fact that, like, if someone identifies with the thing and, and what you mean is I want you to have a different job and, mm-hmm. I'm, and I do care about your security and i want you to be secure but i want you to be secured to something else but all you say is coal is bad yes. they hear i'm bad yes. mm-hmm. and their response is right. fuck you yes and mm-hmm. i think that's when you frame it that way i think it's completely understandable and and when i was pointing about what i was saying about from the right and from the left is that from the right what i mean is that not from the right is in right politically mm-hmm. i mean right is in like you can't out coal the coal miner's daughter, right? Like you can't mm. say she's a fake. I'm the one that's here to protect your jobs because she's saying, look, I get it. I identify with this too, but we have to move on. We have to move on. Not you have to move on. Mm. And from the left is, is the point about, you know, well, you know, even if this was a good job, it isn't once you have no health care and all your family's mm. dying from cancer. Like it's getting people to say, look, I'm in that boat too, but like this isn't working for us. Yes. And, and that's something that, that, you know, somebody from on high or, you know, somebody in the white house can't just dictate that that has to come from the grassroots and, mm-hmm. and i think that's the real power of these types of politicians where because they're real people yeah and they're real people saying look i get it and they have the credibility to say i get it but then following it up with but we've got to change yeah she has a degree of authenticity 
legitimacy, mm-hmm. you know, credibility that the, you can't, you can't rival. You can't. Oh, how about this? Yeah, you she can't gave me trump. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was thinking she's kind of like a real populist in the sense that what she's saying is kind of real and it's talking to the masses because she's part of the masses mm-hmm. and you can actually feel what she's saying mm-hmm. you know what i mean when she's saying it like oh my god you can feel it and and there's a real distinction as stefan puts it uh that message coming from her from paula versus you know here i am a city dweller in toronto i can i can be maybe saying the exact same thing the need to transition to a more sustainable economy but that might very well be met uh, by people who are employed in coal and oil and gas by, oh, yes. here's this city person who who benefits from you know their lifestyle, from all the stuff that we're providing, and here they are criticizing it. And that's legitimate. Oh, like, yeah. That's, yeah. I wanna, and I think that it speaks to what, I, uh, what I'm coming more and more to think of as the, as the true task uh, of the – of the environmental uh, environmental movement, mm. uh, especially those of us who are sort of you know hold up in our in, in our in our cities and urban centers, uh, which is that to to really uh, to double down and become the world's best allies, you know, mm. finding you know go out find the people who you know mm. find the coal miners' daughters, find mm-hmm. the find the indigenous groups on the front lines, find all these people. Not find as if we discover them, but I mean mm. like for ourselves uh, and and raise their voices up, right? Uh, you know, f- like mm-hmm. y- we have a level of uh, we have a level of privilege that we are not directly impacted by a lot of these things, and that you know, I I have job opportunities that are not working in a coal mine, yeah. uh, and and other opportunities not that are not required for me to sort of stand up on the front line to protect my land. Uh, so, so what do I do with that? What do I do with that with those privileges? And I think more and more, I feel like the environmental movement is this is this is this call to to just figure out you know how to how to be the best ally to all of these other people who are who are having the fights already you know it's not these aren't these aren't groups that are out there uh that 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 exist because of us mm-hmm. uh they they are their own groups doing their own having their own fights mm-hmm. and and they need help uh and and as somebody said we, we can keep coming up with new reports and sending them yeah. to our sort of or we can find ways to support people who are who are who are really on the ground in 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 and 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 just to sort of add to that, and as Saren was saying, how a lot of this can come down to identity. Um, studies show, like this isn't surprising. If you hear a message from someone who you identify with as part of your your in group, versus hearing that same message from someone who is seen as you know as not being in that group, as being the out group, uh, the the former is going to resonate a whole lot more, right? So it ends up being voices like like Paula's that are critical. It's interesting that you talk about message because I was going to talk about that earlier when Stefan when Stefan was saying. Um, I find it one of the reasons why I think people are not uh, responding so well to the environmental message, and these are individuals that come from small towns, is because we're not making the business case for it. And this, again, goes back to message. You got to give it to the person in a way that they associate with it or that they can relate with it. And all we've been doing about environmental, um, uh, trying to get people to be more environmentally aware is that we've been talking to them through a moralistic point of view. We've been talking to them about health. We've been talking to them about, uh, hey, we might not be able to survive. So we're being alarmists. But a lot of these people, unfortunately, like, 
as Stefan said, they have no other options. They need to choose these bad jobs that we're calling them bad jobs because they have nothing else. So maybe what we need to do better is to make the business case why it's better for you to choose the environmental friendly way. Now there are technologies and ways where you can actually make money choosing the sustainable way. So why choose the old ways of doing business? Why choose coal when now you could be having solar uh, jobs? And that's what Hillary Clinton ran for, right? And that's why I actually really liked what she had, because at least she had some kind of plan. I, I have to call bullshit on that. but anyway. Really? You think mm-hmm. so? She's bullshit. Well, it's better than uh, what Trump <laughs> is running on, that's for sure. Yeah, or what Bernie Mussolini Sanders in was, a way. You know, like you could, <laughs> okay, are you seriously comparing Hillary Clinton to Mussolini? No, no, I'm, I was comparing Trump to Mussolini. Playing the relativity game is going to get us nowhere fast. But anyway, we'll leave, we'll leave the debate for the for Yes, the, for but the what I'm trying to Hillary say is that one of the things why perhaps Trump is resonating with these people is because he's providing some kind of business solution to them. And they need jobs. They're well, starving. They need jobs. He's offering the appearance of a business solution. And and I think, you know, we don't need to nitpick about whether or not yes. he's doing it. But the point is, is like the messaging part is there, even though there's nothing to back it up at yes. all. Uh, the messaging is there. And what it does show, what I agree with you, is that what it does show is the, it shows the power of messaging. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, even if there's nothing behind it, good messaging is, is really what's missing and and that's really what's been missing from the from the democrats is that they've got bad messaging and part of it is because i feel like they're paid to lose i feel like i can make that case with with data that's not just a personal opinion um like the they're paid to lose what do you mean by that uh, that's a whole okay. a whole right. show to explain okay. that but it has to do with campaign finance laws in the in the us right. but they're paid to lose um and but so what's happening so like they're in one case they're paid to take certain positions so in a certain case like for instance the democrats will take the same position as the republicans because they're taking campaign donations from the same people right donald trump got elected by decrying uh, hillary clinton's connections to uh, uh wells fargo and now there's five executives from wells fargo in trump's government right so it's it's all bullshit yeah um but the messaging is what's important but the fact so aside from their actual policy is sucks because the people are who are paying them have interests where they they want them to do certain things and the other case it's also the messaging which is that even the things where their their corporate interests are allowing them to do things, they're they're suck at messaging it because they're not doing that. They're coming out and saying coal is bad, which they think they're going to help them out with the progressive wing. Mm. But it's a the progressive wing doesn't believe them because they have a, whole, a lot of good reasons not to believe them. Yes. I think it's a very logical not to believe them. I think there's a good case to not be made to not believe them. And also they alienate the right because instead of saying. As we've all agreed, I want to provide you with a with a job that pays you the same or better, and you're, it's not going to give you cancer. They're saying coal is bad, right? So they're losing it mm. every part of the. So basically, they're trying to cater to everyone, but they're not catering to anyone. Exactly. <laughs> and and we can have a variety of opinions about why that might be. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think we can be in all in agreement that that's what happened. Mm. I I think there comes down to also a point of which that no one really wants to say, uh, which is that. The jobs that might exist in the clean future are not the same jobs that exist in the coal future, which mm. means that you know where probably wind and solar aren't going to exist in the hillsides of of West Virginia. 
you know, like you know, like maybe you could find ways to build some stuff there, but that's not the best business case. And I think more often than not, politicians are trying to come up with a way to pretend that that every transition is going to be good for everybody, and every transition won't be good for everybody, or at least won't be good for everybody in the way they want it to be. Like people, coal miners don't want to stop living in coal towns and don't want to like and don't want to stop living with their friends and family because why would they? They've been there their entire life. Yeah. Um, but and so and so. And shutting, those coal, and shutting down those coal plants will probably leave those people in a worse scenario uh, unless they decide to move, in which case that's sort of you – know, that's in some ways forcing people to move into a, against their will, which has a whole different set of problematic pieces to it. And I think like – that, but but that's the transition that has to happen. In the mm-hmm. same way, you know, in the same way that I think when you let, I think what happens is that more often than not, when uh, when corporations or when there's a monetary boom in one area, everyone talks about how how great it is without ever really discussing the fact that what it what it, you know the thing that got destroyed before it. Uh, I know, for mm-hmm. example, that you know we didn't you know no one was saying what about the horse and carriage industry as the automobile came up uh, because there well, was I'm sure no ex- they were, but they, well, they they didn't make it to the history books. But there was, mm-hmm. there was also there was also no expectation on the auto industry to give a shit about the horse and carriage industry. The auto industry mm-hmm. was supposed to, was supposed to run them out of business because that was the point. Uh, and yet now in this sort of scenario, it's we, we have this this process where environmentalists are 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 expected to both come out and say, "Hey, everyone who has coal plants and coal things, everything's going to be exactly as good as you want it to be." Mm-hmm. But also, we're going to completely change the American system. Uh, that won't work. Some people like so, like some people may end up better off other places, but that's not the reality of the world that we live in. Yeah, it yeah. change without any change is 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 the is the is the language that politicians often uh-huh. try to use. I want to offer this revolutionary change, but don't worry, it won't change anything. <laughs> yeah, right. It, like everything will be the same, except that nothing will be. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying and I'm not saying that like that's 100. What I'm not saying is that you don't is that the people who will be negative about you don't don't deserve protections. But uh, but we can't pretend that we can change everything about like the amount mm-hmm. of change that has to happen in the next thirty years to live in a sustainable society will change the way every single person does most things <coughs> if we are to survive. Wow. Um, of- and and to expect that and ex- to expect that to go you know like oh it's just like you know add a little have a, a little you know down like a cough drop is ridiculous. Yeah, the reality is, and so the political messaging right now is disingenuous. The reality is any transition will be turbulent. There'll be some people that win a little bit, some people that lose a little bit. Um, just, just to bring this, though, uh, back to Canada and with a very specific example, one of my cousins uh, works in oil and gas in Calgary. So he grew up in Calgary. Um, he was he was sort of surrounded in this environment where oil and gas is, is legitimate. It's a great career. It's a great future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he studies geophysics in university, you know, trying to figure out how to get the stuff out of the earth. And he gets his first job, you know, in the sector oil and gas, and he sort of slowly climbs his way up. And, and right now, he has a well-paying job. How he puts food on the table to feed his two children um, is through the oil and gas sector. And, and what are we going to tell him? You know what? You now need to install solar panels on people's roofs. Like that's that's a real human example of someone whose livelihood, whose the last 20, say, years of his life has been directed at, at developing a particular expertise. What is he going to do? And, and the thing that really frustrates me anyway is this messaging that sort of pits environmentalists 
uh, or urban folk here in Toronto versus people in Calgary and so on, Mm -hmm. as, you know, it's this narrative of almost good versus evil, right? And this moralistic sort of, I think, as someone mentioned, uh, judgmental piece. And I think to myself, you know, my cousin, he's he's not out to destroy the earth. He's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, you know, and he's just in this because we all are. And I think a big part of, of this transition uh, to do this successfully is is going to need to be less of this sort of enemy narrative and more of a recognition, you know what, there's just a lot of inertia to this. There's just, we're only here because dot, 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 we're here, you know, in large part, right? So would you say that it's the government's job to have a proper message? Because, you know, people are too afraid. People are too little. They have to deal with finding a job. They have mm-hmm. to deal with paying bills. It's the government that dictates the tone. Yeah. And you I know think what I mean? they yeah. have to have the courage to say, this is good for our environment. Mm-hmm. This is what we need to do. And this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there I think needs to be political will, in my opinion. Definitely. I'd agree with that. I'd also say that um, political messaging needs to be a bit more transparent, a bit more honest. Uh, and I think a lot of NGOs can can up our game in in reframing and sort of less being you know good versus less evil. Less preachy. We should be less preachy. Yeah. Yes. You know. I agree. We we should be less we. preachy. <laughs> yes. I shall preach until this happens. <laughs> my come bread on, and come on. My bread and butter is preaching. Like <laughs> that's that's. I know. So is mine. Yeah. You know, as a nonprofit. There's a little bit of mayonnaise, of sarcasm, and mm-hmm. some occasional lettuce of data, but basically, it's all the bread. You know, it's all bread of preachiness. Uh, I, I for a very brief period during one of our the iterations of our early website adjustments, I actually liter- lit. Uh, listed myself as an environmental evangelist uh, on our website. <laughs> did so, you? Yes, I did. That's, that's uh, and awesome. I don't even necessarily dis- disavow that. I just chose other language. So, okay, so we're we're nearing 20, uh, uh, 25 minutes here. I, I have a quick wrap-up comment. If anyone else wishes to add one, they may, or we'll wrap it up there. But my, my last quick thing is that just on that tone, we've been talking about like so the, the instability of large-scale political change. And I have to take this opportunity to once again plug my pitch for a guaranteed minimum income and comprehensive health care, a social safety net in Canada. Why? Well, aside from all the other reasons, this is a great opportunity based on the conversation we just had to say that when we have to make large changes, this softens the blow. It takes yes. away the argument yes. from the people because you've made it, it. It has nothing to do with the bill. You now you don't need to, to figure out how to, to tag into your climate change policy, how to make sure that you build just enough pipelines that the people who are employed by the pipeline companies keep their jobs. No, you create a strong enough safety, social safety net that, you know, maybe people get additional money if they have kids, like something so that nobody ever has to be terrified. Yes. People can be pissed off. People can be really mad. But they'll never have to be scared that they'll be left out in the cold. You give them independence to make their own choice. And what this does is it allows you to go ahead and say, look, yeah, some people are going to lose their jobs, but your your kids are still going to have their daycare. Your your kid that has autism is still going to have their fancy treatment uh, that they require. Uh, You're still going to be able to keep your house. And beyond that, suck it up. And I think that would remove everything but... That would that would that would remove the the what I what I fear is so often used 
uh, as a uh, distraction from the actual political issue, which is, well, look at these small group of people that I'm going to put on a stage and, and say, it's not that I'm not concerned about those people. That's why I want this policy. But I also feel like that's the biggest thing that's used to scare us away from meaningful change that needs to happen is, well, look at this poor family we found who we're going to take mm-hmm. a picture of and put it in a TV ad who's going to be harmed. They're like, well, great. Let's just take that away from every political decision ever by guaranteeing that no one will ever again be in that situation, no matter what policy we pass. Stefan. Uh, I would I would mildly argue that I think that there's a, a deeper difficulty that uh, while I, I'm not saying I, I think a guaranteed national income is, 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 is would go a long way uh, to ensuring that you can you have a much more free society. Uh, you know, as much yes, as well you know, uh, you, you, national income allows you to leave jobs that are that are that are abusing you. Allows you yes. to allows you to to make the right, make the right decision for you yeah. at the time. Pick you have the to. right politician instead of somebody who's promising you a job. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it gives you, it frees you a lot uh, in many ways. Um, I still think that there would be the idea that I, I do not think you could ever message the idea the, as as a, as a solution to feeling the feeling that you get from not having a job. Uh, you mm. know, I, I think you'll I think you'll remain relatively true to the receiving that sort of that fear to not supporting yourself because i think there's on on i don't think i think that comes from a much deeper place uh than than does uh than does just the fear of not not being able to make ends meet uh, I know, like, what you, and, uh, I think everyone. So, what is your argument exactly? My argument is just that I don't think that as I, that uh, that Saren went out and said that you could tell them to suck it up. I don't think you. I think if you. I think if you. Obviously, on the campaign trail, I wouldn't. No, it. obviously, <laughs> sure, sure. Well, actually, I might. Yeah, to be fair. But my might. point is that that, that <laughs> I think that that fundamentally misses the the reason why people work. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I think the argument that I think it, the argument why people people work because they want to be self sufficient and they want to have control of their lives and they yes. want to make and they want to make impact um, and so uh, the idea that just creating a, a global income I, I my pitch for it is not that it would would allow you to sort of then make uneconomic decisions because people could survive but rather because it frees them to make decisions that are right for them uh, mainly because this idea that. I think that I think letting people think that that's why people want to work uh, plays into the hands of then they wouldn't if they didn't have to. So you don't um, think that it would emancipate people to have uh, an income? No, 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 the argument is not about whether or not it would free them to make their own decisions. The argument is that if you frame this as the reason, as as a solution to why people want a job or feel they need a job, is is I think is misunderstanding why people have jobs. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Uh, I, I think people have jobs uh, to be productive members of society, yes. and it has much more to do with their. They want a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has much more to do with their inner, 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 especially given how long our culture has told people that jobs are 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 required to have that. Mm-hmm. You know, which is also a dangerous narrative altogether. I just th- 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 I th- that was the 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 piece that I that I wanted to make clear uh, is that for all of the great stuff that you can do uh, with an, with an, with a national income, I don't think that would actually impact the people's need or want to to actually have have meaningful work. But I think the word meaningful there is what's important. Maybe yes. that's the point you were making earlier, Sam, is that it allows them to choose meaningful work rather than whatever they need to survive through that day. Yes. Yeah. And you want to know how you make sure that that number is high enough that people can actually live on it? Peg it to a government employee pay. Problem solved. Yes. <laughs> Problem very good solved. Then. Yes. Jo- uh, Rob, I yeah. think you like to um, I think you're, you're really hitting on something there, Stefan, where – Work, of course, provides income and everything that that then affords, but it's also about dignity, self-worth, and as you mentioned, uh, purpose as well. I suspect in a world where we're going to see more and more uh, atom, uh, automation – I can't even say that word. Help automation? Me. Thank yeah, you. Automation. <laughs> and, and 
fewer jobs, um, to the extent to which our identity and sense of self-worth is often tied to what I do during my nine to five Mm -hmm. and has been culturally reinforced for years now, um, we're going to really need to explore more fundamental questions like what is my purpose? What do I do? And that's yeah, a real human... but if you human... have an income, then you have the time to explore those questions. The interesting thing about it is if I, if I am sort of fully employed and, and engaged in my work, then I almost get to like my sense of purpose, purpose and self-worth gets wrapped up. My identity gets wrapped up in that job. If in a world where there are fewer jobs and, and where you do have you know, a guaranteed income, and this is an argument against that, yes. um, then, then that sense of purpose that is normally sort of you know, attached onto that, that work identity, it's now an open question. And then you get into a real fundamental existentialist type, well, what is my purpose? What do I do? Um, and that can, be, that can be frightening. That can be really challenging. You think so? I don't know. I think this would be very helpful. As somebody who um, I just graduated from my master's in public administration, as somebody mm-hmm. that wants to find a job in the government or that has struggled, I guess, to find mm-hmm. the nine to five job. But also, I really don't like the nine to five job. I'm a creative problem solver. Mm-hmm. So having a minimum income per month would really help me because it would take away my stress for having from having to find uh, ways on how to make money to pay my credit card bills and my mm-hmm. OSEP bills. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I wish that I had the government to help me to take away that stress and anxiety so I can focus on the things that matter, mm-hmm. on the things, on the solutions that I want to create. And I think a, a, an income would help us as a society to come up with better solutions because it, because it would free us. It would free us to it would give us the time to work on a solution if you can or if you want to. And I think we are underestimating the power of people or their desire to do things. Mm-hmm. We think that people are lazy, but people are not lazy. People want to do things. Yeah, it's it's tricky, but it's, it's funny too. So compare a recent graduate yes. to my mother who just retired and her identity, her sense of self-worth was very, very much wrapped up in her job. Mm. She's now no longer doing that. And she's going through an existential sort yes. of crisis. She's even used the language, I feel like I don't have a purpose, right? And that's see, a, you can it's get a really tricky to thing job. to do. You can, you can get it. It's like a glass ceiling uh, effect. Like you can – or looking – what's that uh, psychological – looking glass? Through the looking glass? Yeah, mm. like the one where you're uh, – it's – I remember in psychology we learned this thing where you look at your perception or you think that you're being per- perceived in a certain way and then you start acting that way. Mm. I don't mm. know whether that is the looking glass effect I'm not sure. or whatever. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like that. See, with jobs, that happens a lot. People start mm-hmm. having this interaction and they think that all they are is their job. But that's not necessarily true. So if you if Why you not? provide a way for people to not have that, then they come up they can come up with their own uh, independent thinking and their own independent creative thinking. Well, mm-hmm. I just want to add that I don't think that's I don't think that's a passive effect. I think that's companies do like train that into you intentionally. So I I, I just think that we can't make uh, yes, it happens, but also it's a it's a it's a social thing. It's well, a, no, no, no. But just to the extent that it's it's actively encouraged, like yes. you're everything yeah, you're about right, your it job, is. it's social programming mm-hmm. too that you are in employee when you are here you are representing the company every job training program for pretty much any job Mm. anyone has ever had trains you to do that so i'm not saying that that's the only cause of Mm -hmm. that effect but i'm saying like that it's there's a reason it's so strong and it's because it's actively reinforced for most of people's lives Mm. that that's how you should think about it right especially maybe that not be as relevant now but especially 
you know, a f- you know, 10 years ago when you got a job when you got out of school and that was your job, like most of our parents' age, right? Where you came I want to point out that 10 teacher. years ago was 2007. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that happened. That's I, when I, I graduated, time, I so I, I don't I, think I, I don't, I don't I'm believe. having time vertigo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I figured. Like uh, 10 years ago is still 1990, mean. right? That's how this works. <laughs> I, I keep thinking it's 2007. So. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. But you know what I mean? But anyway, but like, I mean, my, you know, my parents, uh, you know, went to school and they graduated and they got their job and then they did their job for 50 years. Mm years mm. that doesn't that isn't a thing anymore right mm. like that reality well, doesn't because exist. the future is volatile now and that's why i'm saying we need to start learning how to think creatively because we need we're, we're dealing with a lot of different problems yeah and Our, so people have been taught to be conventional so if you give people a way to be free which is give them a certain income so their bills are paid then they can start thinking for themselves they can come up with their own solutions for their life and others mm. Well, I, I can't say I disagree there, but I, I will have to say that we're at 36 minutes. Ooh, so I'm going to call over. it. Thank you very much to uh, Irsita, who uh, didn't really get a Thank proper you. introduction, but friend of the show and also Sorry. a CSI uh, member. Uh, Rob Shirky, uh, executive director for Our Horizon and also personal friend of both Stefan and I. Thanks for coming in, Rob. Thank and you. Uh, also Stefan for sticking around extremely late today. Thank Me. you, Stefan. Uh, and thank you, of course, finally to our listeners. Hope you enjoyed this special edition, the fundraising show, the extended uh, bonus show to make up for the fact that you had to listen to some pitching during our main show last week. Uh, we hope you sat through it, but if you didn't, boy, did you get your ears full today. So uh, enjoy <laughs> that and uh, take care. Thanks so much. Take care, everyone.